Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sarah Blakemore. Coming up on the program today, boy, we are excited. Guess who's coming to town? Santa! You guessed it, Santa Claus. He's going and to talk. I'm a little nervous. Yes, I am too. He's going to tell us a little bit about the best gift he's ever received. Oh, I like that. And we're going to talk about maintaining boundaries. All that and more right here. The Gifted Life, guys. Thegiftedlife.org. Y'all ready? Yep. Santa's coming. Here we go. Here on the Gifted Life podcast, we are pleased to introduce you to our guest by day, Bob Boyer. Hey, Bob. Oh, hello there. By night, the Huntsville Santa. Hey, Santa. Oh, hello. How are y'all today? (laughs) I love this. We love this story. So we certainly appreciate you uh, taking time to join us. Um, Santa Bob works with our partners over at Legacy of Hope in Alabama. And I guess since Christmas is right around the corner, uh, we wanted to ask about if Joey was on the naughty <laughs> or the nice <laughs> list. Do you have any well, you scoop? Know, a lot of times when I when I talk to groups of people, if it's uh, you know a more grown-up group of people, I usually start with something like, gee, you don't often see the naughty list all in one place like this. <laughs> but that's a terrible thing to do on, on a discussion about Donate Life, because I know y'all are on the, on the good list. Li- <laughs> Some of us. You made it Joe, first year. <laughs> High five. Boom. All right. So Santa Bob, let's talk about just you get up in the morning and your goal is to do what, especially around this time of the year? Well, my goal most days when I get up, I, I walk into my bathroom and there is a sign that says, just be claws right over my sink. <laughs> and I take a lot of inspiration for that because literally, even if I'm not wearing a red suit and some white fur and that sort of thing, I have a really long white beard, and uh, anywhere I go at this time of year, somebody is going to look, and you just see a smile, you see a giggle, uh, you're in Walmart checking out, and you see someone kind of looking back, and then parents are great, you know, they kind of look and say, he's watching, and it's a great, you know, <laughs> discipline thing, but truly, it's it's a persona, and it's something that you just don't put on when you put on the coat, it's there all the time, and that's that's what I do when I wake up, I try to think of who am I going to meet today? It might be the only time all year that they meet Santa Claus. It might be the only time in their life that they meet Santa Claus. And I've got to be good. I've got to be really ready to go and that sort of thing. And that's that's what I'm all about. Ever since my heart transplant, I'm all about bringing a little happiness to, to somebody else and just keeping that Christmas vibe going all year long, if I can. I love it. And I said, our listeners are probably like, why are they talking to Santa right now? Mm-hmm. Because Santa usually gives gifts, right, Joe? Yep. But this Santa... A little bit different. He, it is. He received a gift, a great gift. Ah, the greatest gift. So eight years ago, you were uh, blessed with a new beginning, a second chance, right? So walk yeah, us very, back. Very much so. Yeah. So uh, take us back down that, that journey. So it started in late August of 2011. I woke up uh, very early one morning and I was having all the classic symptoms of a heart attack, the stabbing pains in the chest, sweating, the numbness in the arms. 
uh, a little bit of nausea. And I literally told my wife, I said, I'm pretty sure I'm having a heart attack call the ambulance. And they got there very fast, took me down to uh, the hospital and got me into the ER really quick, did the whole stent operation. And I thought everything was great. You know, they found it early. It was a widowmaker heart attack. And a lot of times I, I like to think that doctors tend to make things more serious than they are. But no, this was I was literally probably moments from death. Uh, without the stent operation and the speed and ability of everybody involved. Uh, they got me back on my feet really quick, and I thought, wow, I have uh, completely dodged a bullet. And then uh, about six months later in January, um, I just started noticing a lot more symptoms. And eventually I started having some blood clot issues and coughing up blood. They put me in to put me on blood thinners, and when they finally did, a more thorough exam, they said, well, Mr. Boyer, your, uh, your heart is really damaged from that heart attack. The left side is only pumping out about 10% of the blood that you need. And they said, we really think that you need a heart transplant. And these are words that uh, you're not wanting to hear when you're 46 years old. I got, I got to tell you, it's, uh, it's pretty severe. But uh, they rushed me down to UAB Hospital in Birmingham, Alabama, and did some evaluation tests. Uh, we went through everything in about two weeks. And when the best part about this story that I'm always grateful for, when I finally was ready to be put on the list, I was waiting for some paperwork from insurance, that sort of thing. And I asked the doctors, I said, well, you know, how long with my blood type and all that? What's an average for waiting? And they said, well, usually six weeks to six months is, is what uh, is average for somebody for you. And they had kind of leveled all my meds out to where, you know, I had time to, to wait for a transplant. I got, uh, I got home and called uh, finally and said, okay, I'm good with the insurance officially put me on the list. And they said, well, make sure your phone can pick up unknown numbers. They don't give you a little beeper or a pager anymore. They just make sure you've got this number can come to your phone. And that evening about nine o'clock, I called at five, I, nine o'clock, I got a call. They said, we found a heart. Wow. Uh, wow. I think it is, it is still some sort of record. It was it's four crazy. hours wow. of being on the waiting list. It was, I think about a 70 to 80% tissue match, which is fairly unheard of also. And knock on wood, um, I'm blessed that in all the time, I've never had an incidence of rejection mm. uh, and it's seven years on. So it's truly a miracle story. I like to think that, uh, you know, that uh, the good guy above has, has plans. And that's why I look at doing my Santa thing very seriously because, you know, it just doesn't all work out that way without a reason. And I think one of the reasons is for me to put a smile on somebody's face around Christmas time. So, so, you know, being in the industry for, uh, I don't know, 18 or so 19 years, I have never heard of four hours. Wow. I've, I've almost never heard of the same day. It's so remarkable that, that you were able to match everything, matched up, everything worked out exactly in your favor for you to be able to receive that that gift of life. I'd like to go back to that that day just for a moment, if, if you will. So, so when you find this out, and of course you were thinking, uh, you know, six months or, or, you know, hopefully six months, because obviously... If you were that sick, if mm -hmm. you, for, for you to receive it and be, be on, on that call four hours later, that means you must have been that sick to where you were at the top of the list. Because obviously, as, as I've said before in other podcasts, you know, the sickest person with the best match is the one that receives. So uh, so you, you know, going from being that sick, feeling that bad, can you take us to your first moments that you can remember after the surgery? 
Yeah, it, uh, it will never leave me. Um, I remember waking up and uh, the only thing, I, I don't know why this is, but I remember feeling my pulse in the back of my neck very strongly. And, you know, to that point, I had been six months post heart attack and on a lot of blood thinners and, you know, things to kind of make life easier on your heart, obviously. Well, now my donor was 20 years younger than me. So I had a 26 year old heart in me and it was going, you know, just to beat the band. And all I remember when my eyes opened and I could feel the tube in my throat, you know, and everything. And all I could feel was this pulse in the back of my neck. And it felt like Niagara Falls. I mean, it was just this amazing rush. And, you know, once I finally came to, it just wouldn't go away. It was just this amazing lifeblood, you know, as, as it were. Uh, but I don't know why it was in the back of my neck. You know, I, I know you take your pulse on your, usually, you know, on your neck, on your artery there, on your arms or something. But I will never forget that. I've, I've told people it was just like somebody turned on a fire hose with my heart. It was an amazing difference. So you mentioned that a 26-year-old um, was your donor. Did you ever get to meet his or her family? I did. Uh, it was a very interesting story. You know, it's very, because of HIPAA laws, it's, it's very restrictive as to meeting donors and how you can communicate with them. But I somehow or another, I was told that the donor was about 70 or 80 miles away from me and uh, where I live every day. And because I do so much thing, uh, so many things, plus being Santa, I thought at some point I might actually run into his family. So as cleverly as I could, when I would write letters to the family, I would say, you know, I'm very blessed to have your gift and thank you for your donation. And I hope it does a lot of good. I'm a local professional Santa, and I'm very happy to still be able to put smiles on, on lots of children's faces. And I sent about, I think, three or four letters to my donor family. And one day at my other job, uh, I got this call from the switchboard, and this wonderful lady came on the phone, and she said, hi, my name is Sherry, and I don't know how to say this, but I'm your heart donor. And she meant to say she was his mom, obviously, but it, it blew me away. I didn't know what to say for a little bit. And uh, we struck up a conversation and talked for a little bit. And about six months later, we were able to meet up in person and my daughters and her husband and her daughter, and we were all able to kind of get together. And uh, we've had a wonderful relationship since they, uh, they, they said, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't obviously have a choice of who we chose to get our son's heart, but we're so glad that you got it. We can't imagine it going to somebody that would do so much with it. And that means a lot to me. Wow. Uh, I mean, we're just sitting here. Our, our jaws are on the floor. We just love uh, the storytelling on these podcasts. So um, what have you been able to do? And we know you pay it forward. We know you, you help. But some of your milestones, like thanks to this second chance, I have been able to do these things. What would you say? Uh, the first one is uh, I got to attend my daughter's wedding, uh, which was just a few months after. I think it was six, seven months afterwards. Uh, that was really neat. I got to be uh, Santa. We did a Christmas in July thing, and I got to watch one of my daughters get married. I uh, got to watch both of them graduate from high school, obviously, and, and uh, grow into young ladies. I've got to see uh, the uh, same daughter that got married graduate from Auburn University, and she's now in the middle of a wonderful industrial construction career over in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I think some of my best Santa milestones have probably been uh, just charitable things, you know, where uh, children that might not have a chance to see Santa, I'm able to do that for them. And I think those stick out in my mind. Did you know about donation before your heart attack, before this journey? 
Um, you know, I did, and I've always been an organ donor. I don't have the phobia that uh, I guess some folks might have with it, but I didn't, you know, give it as much thought as, as probably anyone would until you become so impacted by it. But I remember one of the first things that I told uh, one of the folks from uh, Legacy of Hope when they came in and talked, I said, look, uh, in my job, I do several things, most of which is I produce television commercials and public service announcements, and I have a million watt television transmitter in Huntsville at my disposal to put the word out there. So I've kind of become the de facto spokesperson for here in my town to go out. Uh, we've talked to the mayor and declared Organ Donor Day in, in April and things like that. We have done uh, a lot of public service announcements talking about, you know, how you need to be an or organ donor and all that sort of thing. And that's, that's my biggest give back is the ability to be able to do that. And then, of course, as Santa, I get invited to a lot of things to speak or to talk. And I always tell people, you know, Santa got a brand new heart. Hey, what have you done? You know, the gift you can give at Christmas that lasts forever is your legacy, you know, to pass that on to somebody else. So, and it means a lot coming from a guy with a big white beard and a red hat. They think, <laughs> yeah. wow, he wouldn't be here if it weren't for somebody doing that. And I, I'm hopeful that we've had converted a lot of people, you know, through that. So that's that's kind of, I guess, my my Santa ministry with the uh, with the heart donation. Did you also do a book? Uh, I've got a couple of books. All um, right. I think this I think this happens to a lot of people. I know when they told me after the the heart transplant, they said, okay, when you get back to work, it's kind of like being a little mini celebrity, you know, a lot of people who have you ever met, you know, that has a heart transplant. And the problem that it's not a problem, but the thing that I have is I'm also Santa. So <laughs> it's a double thing. People love to hear about how you become Santa. What do you do? And then people want to know, well, how do you have a heart transplant? And one of the things that, that fascinated me afterwards when I was in post recovery mode is I met a lot of people that seemed happy with be it lungs or liver or kidney or heart or whatever. And a lot of them literally told me, well, I'm just not happy. I wish I'd never done this. And I think, how is that possible? You know, someone in a lot of cases is not here anymore so that you are still alive. How can you feel that way? And then I've met a lot of people that are very terrified by the concept of being an organ donor, that sort of thing. And so I said, you know what? I want to write a book about why you should be an organ donor and how simple a process it can be in a lot of cases um, and really take a lot of the medical uh, jargon out of it and, and the stuff that terrifies people. Uh, my mother was a nurse, my sister is a nurse, and I speak doctor a little bit. So um, I wanted to kind of put it in layman's terms of what's involved and how, you know, it's become a lot more common. Now, unfortunately, there's not enough hearts and livers and kidneys to go along. The, you know, the list, the waiting list is terrible, but the surgery has become so much simpler and so much easier, and it's a more common thing. And I tried to take that out, but uh, it was called uh, A Heart Big Enough for Santa is, is the book title. And it's kind of mixed. It's the story of my transplant and, and all that. But then there's also uh, each chapter ends with a clever, nice little Santa story because people love to hear about the unusual things that happen when Santa gets to talk to people and meet people and that sort of thing. Oh, I but, love it. Uh, it. It was a big hit. So uh, we did a second one that is more just Santa stories called Whispers and Whiskers. Yeah. How do you so, find yeah, there, all that? There's two of them. Tell us how to find um, it's that. It's really easy to, to find. find you. It's just uh, look it up on Amazon. If you type in Bob Boyer heart transplant, it'll come right up and uh, you can order them. Uh, a lot of people love them. 
as Christmas gifts. Now, I don't know if they can get there in four days, but mm-hmm. uh, yes, you can definitely <laughs> definitely order them uh, You know, as a, as a great holiday gift. And again, the whole reason I wanted to write it was to tell people that were maybe afraid to go to the doctor or afraid to take that next step of, gee, maybe I want to have a heart transplant, but I'm intimidated by it and tell them, you know, it can work, it can save your life and it can give you an incredible new outlook on life. So Santa Bob, have you ever had anyone ask you for an organ for Christmas as Santa? I have not. (laughs) I have not. I I think the closest that I've come to that, a lot of little ones come up and say, Santa, my dad's in heaven. Can you can you visit him and, and tell him I said hello and I'd like him to come back? And that's a that's an incredibly hard question to answer, um, mm-hmm. you know, but that, I think that's probably as close. But no, I've not not run into anybody that says I'm on the waiting list. Um, the day I do, believe me, it'll get in the third book, I guess, that uh, that gets written. Um, definitely. But no, I haven't. I have a little easier question. How how's <laughs> well, that how's that ticker holding up on that big trip across the, around the world? <laughs> you know, I'm I'm going to answer this in a funny way because I think it's very poignant um, in in my story. One of the first things before the transplant that they do, they evaluate you, and they said, "So what's this Santa business?" I said, "Yes, I'm a professional Santa." And they said, "Well, how many children do you generally see?" I said, "Well, it depends on the event, but you know, I'd say an average is." probably 5,000 per season. And they said, oh my gosh, you can't do that anymore. And I said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you're, you're immunosuppressed. You know, you're not going to have an immune system and you're, you know, it's very delicate for many months afterwards. And we just don't recommend you have thousands of little children that might have colds or flu climbing in your lap. And I remember I thought for just a moment and I said, well, we can stop if you want. Cause I said, if I can't be Santa, I'm it's there's no reason to have the heart. I say it's a really big deal to me. And the coordinator just kind of looked at me and said, well, it's you know, it's your choice, but it's our recommendation that you don't do this, you know, in this scale. And the first six months after the transplant, I did take it a little simple, a little simpler, a little easier. But uh, no, the ticker has gone great. Like I said, there's never really been any rejection. There's never uh, really been any issues with getting sick around Christmas. Um, I guess part of what led to this in the beginning, I don't really go to the doctor a lot. I don't know that I'd ever really been in a hospital prior to my heart attack because I'm in, you know, usually very good health. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do any of that. Yeah, I eat a lot of cookies, you know, but uh, <laughs> of course but you do. Uh, and milk. And what kind? Other, other vices, so. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it was a big deal to me. I said, if I, if I can't keep being Santa, let someone else have the heart. And we were yeah. able to come to a nice compromise. That's great and I'm, to hear. I'm glad to say it's worked out well. So what kind of cookie did you say? I'm sorry, taking notes. <laughs> Do you like uh, all? My favorite cookie, I think, if you're going to leave out cookies, now I have very special and specific requests. There's two types. I, I love my chocolate chip, but I also like when you're going to homemade cookies, maybe like, you know, roll out uh, the sugar cookie dough and then put icing and sprinkles. And there's special instructions. If you're making these from scratch, you have to take at the end of the batch when you've got almost enough dough left to do it, you, you roll out a cookie about the size of a dinner plate <laughs> and if you've got whatever chocolate chips you have left, they all go in that cookie. Because <laughs> I like more chocolate than cookie. So something really big with a lot of chocolate chips. And then if you're doing like sprinkles and decorations, same kind of advice. Whatever's left, pour them all on that last cookie. That's the one I like. Because it takes a lot of sugar and a lot of energy to make it to everybody's no home doubt. on Christmas Eve. So. Right. I mean, Santa and I are so much alike in that part. <laughs> I love it. So um, I have a, a preteen at home who, who doesn't recognize my coolness, and I'm just wondering <laughs> if your kids at home recognize your coolness, Santa Bob. 
it's uh it's been a wonderful thing uh all the, all along the way my daughters were 16 and 13 pretty much when i started first becoming santa and uh they wanted to come along and be elves in parades and things my my older daughter who's a little tall the first day we ever did that and somebody said you're really tall for an elf she said well, I'm the star of the basketball team. And, you know, I, I just love that she just had that right off the tip of her tongue like that. But no, they, they love having, having Santa as a father. They love to uh, borrow Santa for their friends and relatives that maybe have little ones. And I do a lot of custom videos, you know, little quick videos of, hi, Billy, it's Santa. Your uncle asked me to call you and tell you that your room is not clean enough for me to come visit on Christmas Eve. So we, we get a lot of that, and it's it's a big joy. I love doing that. Oh my goodness, I love this Santa Bob. Any um, anything that we need to talk about before the actual big night ahead? Anything to remember? Keep in keep in mind. Just the cookies. We got that milk. Well, Joey, there's, there's a few things toy? that uh, anybody usually under about eight years old knows this very well, that uh, that you need that reindeer food. It's a very special mix True. Uh, that the reindeer really like. And people always wonder, what do you do with that? Well, the idea is to sprinkle it right outside by the driveway so we can get the Rudolph's nose not only lights up, it hones in on that stuff. And that way we know right where to land. We know just how to, to get to your house. But the other thing is a lot of people don't realize that reindeer really like carrots, uh, but they also need a break from carrots. And so does Santa, because let me tell you, after 1,400,023 carrots, it gets a little rough up there. So I always ask every now and then somebody to leave out a banana because <laughs> reindeer love bananas and it kind of breaks up the monotony because by the end of the night, they almost turn orange from all those carrots. So <laughs> a banana or two is, is really good. And I've had a lot of people ask, I've had people uh, sit in my lap and say, Santa, I'm so mad at my father. And I'll say, you're mad at your father. You can't be mad at your father right before Christmas. Well, he just bought a new house, Santa, and it doesn't have a chimney. And <laughs> I say, oh, now I get it. You think I'm going to miss your house because you don't have a new chimney. And dad will just be standing over there shaking his head. But what I tell them, Santa carries at all times with him a very special and a very magic key. And that magic key is only good on Christmas Eve. It's got a, a beautiful little star hole right in the in the middle of it. And I look right through that when I get to your house and it can tell me if you're on the nice list and it will open your front door so I can just come in the normal way. But it only works on Christmas Eve. I ah. A lot of people be very concerned that I can get in their house anytime. And I have, have to explain to them it's only a Christmas Eve thing. But, uh, yeah, if you're you know, if you want to be on the nice list, you've just got to remember that, uh, you you got to do well in school. You've got to really pay attention to, to mom and dad and your brothers and sisters and, uh, you know, try to be good to everybody around Christmas. Maybe, you know, drop a little money in that red kettle that you see in front of the store. You know, just do good things. And I promise we'll, we'll bring some great stuff on Christmas Eve. Oh, I love it. We had one. We, we want you to think about one thing before you come for Christmas. We're asking. Okay. It's, it's collective. We want people to think and talk about donation. So if you could Absolutely. spread that little magic as you travel, that's our Absolutely. wish. Yep. I always, uh, I always remind people that uh, if they're not an organ donor, why not? And, uh, you know, they definitely should be because uh, it really does. It's the gift. It's the legacy that means more than anything with a big bow and silver paper on it. It really does. All right, Santa, how can we find you? Well, it's real easy. If you'd like to follow some of the uh, Santa happenings, just look up Bob Boyer on Facebook. It's probably the only Bob Boyer on there that looks just like Santa Claus in the profile picture. So you'll know that you've uh, you've got the right one. Oh, Santa Bob, thank you. 
We wish you nothing but the best, and we'll see you after Christmas. And safe travels. <laughs> All right, good to talk with y'all. Hey, by the way, put those fires out this year, okay? Oh, it, good it's point. really hot if I'm coming down to <laughs> and, and you got the So make sure you do that, and I'll see y'all on Christmas Eve. Get to bed early this year. Joe, last year you were up way too late. Hey. Oh, I knew it. It wasn't my watching. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> Thank you so much, Santa Bob. Here on The Gifted Life, we like to take a moment for mental health. Yes, Sarah, what's on tap today for mental health? All right, guys. So today we're going to talk about maintaining boundaries. Now, specifically with other people and um, especially, you know, the holidays are coming up. So you're going to have a lot of conversations with people and they're probably going to ask you questions that you don't feel comfortable answering. So, I mean, we've all done that. We've Like all gone I did to, to you when we got here today. That's right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're really, you know, it's just such a more open society and more people are willing to share. We've got social media now. So a lot of people feel very comfortable and to advocate for themselves. But um, how do you maintain those boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you find out what your boundaries are and what you're comfortable discussing and what you aren't? And really what that means is just like doing a little bit of self-exploration. So finding out what you're comfortable talking about and having those conversations with the people around you and who are closest with you first, leading, especially leading up to these holidays. You know? That's a struggle for me. Mm-hmm. Because my my boundaries are why, <laughs> right? You know, especially growing up and yep. and learning like in nursing and you know mm-hmm. all, everything medical, mm-hmm. you have you feel a, a different level of comfort talking about anything, right? You know that, and especially a lot of things that others aren't necessarily comfortable talking about. Right. So I find myself constantly trying to gauge, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we if we start in a conversation in a direction mm-hmm. and then and then you know trying to gauge. Right, their, if it's getting more personal, like yeah, like their their level mm-hmm. of comfort, to you know, so that's a challenge for me because for pretty much any topic is fair game for me. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, it sounds that's one thing is no when you know your boundaries too, you can reflect that those aren't going to be the boundaries for someone else. So mm-hmm. knowing that it's okay to ask, um, can I ask you about this first, or you don't have to answer, but those little prompting things make it okay for someone else not to answer mm-hmm. i'm from right. cajun country so you know everybody talks about everything and we have huge families uh-huh. yeah. and so sometimes they just ask and i said i gotta work on my facial expressions because i'm like why did you just <laughs> ask <laughs> right and i'm gonna ask you right back no i don't okay <laughs> yeah and you know if someone asks you a question ever where you're not comfortable answering instead of saying that doesn't make me feel comfortable just say i'd prefer not to talk about that and what that does is it takes away the shame of the question and it makes it a little bit easier to not have to answer. And I get that all the time. So Mm -hmm. I can tell you from the other side. Right. (laughs) I I, I have gotten that before. Right. And it's an an easy transition onto something else. Mm -hmm. You know, as the provoker almost, you know, in these conversations, you know, if somebody goes in that direction, I'm like, oh, okay, no, no, I didn't mean to offend or anything. Like it's it's an easy transition to... Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Just ask beforehand. Are you, yeah. you don't have to answer this or is it OK if I ask? And that just really makes it a more comfortable conversation for both people, mm-hmm. which leads to a better connection and better trust and rapport. I like that. Yeah. Just the other day, someone said, can we talk about the elephant in the room? And I said, only if we can talk about yours. <laughs> 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 and, and then we'll go back and forth. And then we didn't have to talk about it. 
Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> but I have a hard time, like I have a hard time saying I don't want to talk about that. Like that makes me kind of anxious because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Right. So, and but I, you, I like those boundaries. Like we're just going to well, set and them up. Know that your feelings are valid too. So mm-hmm. if you don't have to worry so much about hurting other people's feelings as long as you're comfortable and you're not hurt too. You have to... You have to take care of yourself first, really, yeah. is what it is. So don't feel like you're going to hurt anybody's feelings. And, you know, if it's on social media, I know a lot of moms like to post a lot on social media. Um, it's good to ask people first. If you're going to post something that pertains to them, it's good to ask first, is this okay? And that's a healthy boundary to maintain. And it's easy. You just ask people what they're comfortable with, mm-hmm. and you do mm-hmm. it in a non-judgmental, non-shameful way. That's really all this is about. Yes. I could tell you, again, so I, my, my boundaries are wide. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but sometimes, but I don't post anything right. on social media. Mm-hmm. So everything that gets posted about me is posted from others. You're just popular. Well, it could be uncomfortable for some people, you know. Yeah. Right. And, for and you, it's some not, things but some... that I, I see and I'm like, hey, Wait, yeah, you really shouldn't that? have posted that. <laughs> right. You know, wife. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> well, for job interviews and things, you know, like it's just. Yeah, Respect. Yeah. Right. It, yeah, it's not just family and it's not just social media. It's about work, too. What's mm-hmm. appropriate to discuss at yeah. work and what, you know, just yeah. make sure we're maintaining those boundaries and know what you're comfortable with first and to show respect when you're having a conversation. Just be a good human. Yeah. I like it. All right. Maybe you have a topic you want Miss Sarah to cover. Info at thegiftedlife.org. We'd love to hear from you. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero comes to us from the legacy of hope in Alabama. Her name is Savannah Sides. We learn about Savannah from her parents, Sandy and Stephen Sides. One day, they were registering to be organ donors when their five-year-old daughter, Savannah, asked what they were doing. The Sides explained the best they could what organ donation was, and Savannah swiftly said to register her as well. Sandy told Savannah not to worry about that. She was mama's girl and had lots of time. Savannah insisted on becoming an organ donor that day because, as she put it, she wouldn't need them when she got to heaven. Little did anyone know that just 30 days later, following a tragic accident, that time would come. Savannah gave multiple blessings to so many through the gift of organ donation. And now we pause and say thank you to Savannah for the gift of life. Our question and answer segment today, do you have to be registered to become a donor? That's a good question. Sarah, you sit with a lot of our families. Yeah, so it's a really great question. So um, you do not have to be registered to be an organ donor. Registering to be an organ donor is your decision. If you're not registered, the decision to be an organ donor goes to the legal next of kin. Whoever that is, the hospital and whoever whichever OPO you're involved with will know who the next of kin is. Um, Really, it's going to be a family decision. So it's still an amazing and important decision to make. And as always, we're going to reinforce that these conversations should be had with your family at home Mm -hmm. or whenever you're comfortable so that everyone knows your wishes and what you want to do. So you do not have to be registered, but we still encourage you to have these end-of-life discussions as a family. Great question. And if you have a question, we want to hear from you. Email your questions to info at thegiftedlife.org. You can also give us a call, 504-648-3477. 
We may even play your message on the podcast. And that is how we round out 2019, episode 124 of The Gifted Life. Wow, right? Yeah, the last one. Had a celebrity on today? Yeah, Santa (laughs) Bob. We want to definitely thank Santa Bob for spreading the Christmas cheer. And not only not only spreading the Christmas cheer, but also what he does in his efforts to spread the word about organ and tissue donation. He was fun. And he's going to help us continue to make life happen. Gotta love that. Mm -hmm. I love Santa. Well, Santa. <laughs> well, hopefully we've inspired love. you to sign up to be an organ tissue and eye donor if you're not already. Registerme.org is your one-stop shop. That's how we make life happen. Best place to find us is at our website, thegiftedlife.org. Or you can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or your, your favorite podcast apps. If you find us, definitely give us a five-star rating. It really helps Whoop. others find us. Yes. Yes, and you can also find us on social media. You can like our page on Facebook, The Gifted Life Podcast, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Gifted Life Pod. Any final words for 2019? Hmm, do better. Make life life happen. Make life (laughs) happen. And that's our hope for you. Go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. That's what it's all about. We're a team, and we will talk to you guys in 2020. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>